That was a great introduction. Um, let's everybody lower their expectations just a little bit <laughs> and um, just enjoy our time together. Um, I hope your small groups were good. This was a huge passage, and I'm excited to um, spend some time with y'all talking about it. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I'm so nervous. So y'all can pray for my um, nerves. I am intimidated to talk to you because I, um, I just respect so, so all of you and um, so many of you I know are just incredible teachers and learners of God's word. So good morning. I'm Ada Moore. My husband is Ryan. As Laurie said, he's one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm so thankful to be here this morning. I'm going to reread our text, and then we're going to get going. So let's give our attention to God's word. This is from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, and there's handouts on the side. Come and get one if you don't have one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and with honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Virginia, if you do not come to the table and sit down for dinner, you're going to bed and you're going to bed hungry. Anne Harden, you have to pick up your clothes and put them away. Otherwise, you will not get to watch a movie tonight. May. Please sit down and study for your spelling test tomorrow. If you do not study, you won't know how to spell the words and you will fail your test. Beth, you may not eat my nail polish. (laughs) You will get sick and die. I am a mother of four girls and warnings are my life. I am basically one big flashing light, an orange cone, an emergency signal, a tornado siren. All the things that offer concerns, cautions, warnings, I am the human physical embodiment of one. I feel like it's all I do some days. As I was looking up the definition for warning and trying to think about this word, what does it mean? I discovered that one of the synonyms for warnings is wisdom. Wisdom. And as you all know now, this is how the second chapter of Hebrews begins. It's the first in a series of warnings that the writer is compelling his readers with. Okay, so what do we know about warnings? Well, they're kind of prophetic, right? Um, if you do this, here's what will, hap- what will happen. Cause and effect. And um, we kind of live in a world where sometimes warnings aren't really true. I tried to think of some, so these are the two that came to mind. Um, like, if you swallow your gum, it will live in your stomach for seven years that you will never digest. And it will just build this huge, big ball of gum, and then you'll have this, like, gum tumor inside of you. <laughs> Um, 
Or if you uh, pee in the pool, there's a chemical dye, and it will form this um, ring of color around you, and everyone will know that you peed in the pool. Um, so, but even if the warning is false, right? Even if those things aren't true, there's kind of still some wisdom behind it. I mean, it's not good to swallow your gum all the time. That's not good. Throw it away. And it's really, really not good to pee in the pool. Um, Other people use that water, and they don't want to swim in your mess. Um, So if warnings that aren't altogether that true are worth thinking about, what can be said about warnings that are very, very true, where the consequences are absolutely real and serious? Cliff ahead. Slow down for upcoming curve. No lifeguard on duty. Swim at your own risk. Beware of dog. It takes wisdom to heed a warning. And I pray that that's what God would give us today. Because this is the warnings of all warnings. This passage is full of really uncomfortable truth. But it's also full of abundant grace. And hopefully we can work through this together using these three points, uncomfortable truth number one, uncomfortable truth number two, and uncomfortable truth number three. And that's, that's all I could come up with. (laughs) (laughs) And when I say uncomfortable, I mean like, this is not the stuff you bring up at a dinner party. It's uncomfortable. It makes you squirm because you get smaller and God gets bigger. And we don't do well with that. Okay. So uncomfortable truth number one, we don't hold on to God. We don't hold on to God because we are drifters. We are not naturally on our own, steady and secure. We tend to drift. In fact, I'll say it this way. I'm a bit of a drifter. You're a bit of a drifter. This may not come as a big shock to some, but for others, this may be hard to hear. Holding on to God is not something we do real well. And I'm going to define drifting this way. Drifting spiritually means slowly letting go of God's truth and gradually heading towards death. Slowly letting go of God's truth and gradually heading towards death. It's not immediate. It happens over time. And it's interesting, though, because I long to be holding on to truth. I long to be steady, content, and still. I just want that steadiness, that contentness to come from something that I have control over. And I will grasp and we will grasp for anything that we think will give us the power of holding and anchoring ourselves. A philosophy that can explain the world, a set of rules and regulations, a formula that will ensure life is easy, a job, money, power, control, a husband, a child, anything. We will grasp and try to hold on to anything, pretending that we have control over that thing. And as good as some of those things are, because they're good, they're good things, um, they aren't steadfast. In fact, when we try to use them as such, as something to hold on to, they fill the vessels of our lives like heavy boulders, and they take us under quickly. And they take us to our death. You, they are not the powerful bulwark we need. They never have been. They never will be. You are not the powerful bulwark you need. You never have been, and you never will be. So this is a message for drifters. 
And as I've said already, we are all drifters. As the hymn writer says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And let's not confuse drifting with freedom. This is what the world does. Unattached kind of sounds a little amazing. Unattached sounds real amazing to me. (laughs) Um, I would like for nothing to be touching me for a long period of time. Um, Free and unhindered. Um, But it's really the opposite. And all I could think of when I started to reflect on actual drifting, and some of y'all have read this book, is the scene um, in the book Unbroken by Laura Hildenbrand when Louis Zamperini um, and two other airmen spend 47 days at sea drifting around the Pacific Ocean. Their B-24 crashes, um, spoiler alert, the book's been out for several years, so it's not my fault if you um, don't know what happens. They survive just barely and only to be taken prisoner by the Japanese. But the way Hillenbrand retells the story, drifting is anything, anything but freeing. No food, no water, no land. I mean, they're in the Pacific Ocean, okay? Um, they had to eat anything that would land on their raft. Like birds, they would just, like a bird would land and they would sit real still and then catch it and just bite into it. I mean, it's disgusting. Feathers, everything, gross. Bugs, raw fish, they would just catch fish with their bare hands, which I can't even imagine, and then just, again, bite into it. They had to wait on rain in order to quench a never-ending thirst for 47 days. 47 days. That's drifting endless, not going anywhere or going in a direction that you have no ability to change or control. But what causes drifting? I mean, I'm not a World War II pilot flying over the Pacific. I'm a stay-at-home mom with a great husband and four beautiful children. Why in the world would I drift? Why would I drift? Why would I let go of what's true in spite of impending death? Okay, so a little bit about me. I'm a child of two Christian parents. This is primarily how God worked in my life, through my family, through our church and the body of Christ that they were connected to. I really do not remember a day when Jesus wasn't with me and I didn't know that he loved me, that God was real and I was a part of his family. I can say that honestly to you, but that doesn't mean that I don't drift and that I haven't let go of truth. So here's what that looks like in my life. First way it shows up is in apathy. I'm fine. My holiness is of little importance. Reading God's word is something I can always do later. Prayer is for hard times. I'm really okay where I am. Those neighbors of mine will think I'm crazy if I talk to them about Jesus and his saving work on the cross. There's plenty of time for that later. Just waiting for the right moment. Um, Cynicism. I've seen enough sin and mess in the church to last me a lifetime. God's not at work here. (laughs) No way. Couldn't be. Um, These people are married to to their traditions, and I just don't see the kingdom growing. I just, it's not going to happen. You know what? They've kind of got their theology a little mixed up, and so it's pretty weak and ineffective. Um, That stinks for them. And... um, I don't know that they could ever be converted. There's so much baggage and damage there. Cynicism. And here's my favorite. Self-righteousness. There are realms of my life that I have under control. 
that Jesus doesn't need to enter into and redeem. I love to drift in these waters. <laughs> it is a nice place to be. It's a place where I'm always right. And I get to decide when and where I want Jesus to engage. And I kind of put this like, I always use this in my talks, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> okay, let's get real. You know, you always kind of Bible study and you're like, I just, let's get real. I mean, I'm ready for women to get real with each other. Okay, here we go. Fear. I drift. I let go of truth because I'm scared. I drift because I'm terrified. I'm terrified of God and terrified of the cost of following Christ. What is going to be required of me for God's kingdom to grow? I don't want Elizabeth Elliot's testimony. <laughs> I don't want to be Joni Erickson Tata. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to have to lose a child. I don't want to have to get cancer. I don't want my husband to have to get cancer. I don't want um, a car crash to happen. I don't want anything terrible to happen to the people and things that I love. I don't want God to do that to me so that his kingdom will grow. It scares me to death. I've got four young, beautiful children. I want them to grow up and get married and give me tons of grandchildren, and I want us to all go to church together and live on the same street. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm also terrified of people, of man. I'm terrified of what people would think of me if I really turned up the Jesus dial in my life. I'm terrified of losing all the people and places and things, all the nouns. I'm scared of losing them. I'm terrified of pain and sorrow and grief and all of those earlier things, my apathy, my cynicism, my self-righteousness. They're just symptoms of this one big thing, fear. And fear keeps me drifting. It keeps me running to anything else that I think can do this better than God. And honestly, the root of my fear is really not trusting that God loves me as much as he says that he does and that he won't be with me always the way that he says that he will. I want to run and hide in my apathy and my cynicism and my self-righteousness. It's just so much easier to be afraid than it is to be brave and live by faith. And so I slowly drift. And y'all, I'm not under, I'm not even close to under the persecution that these brothers and sisters in the letter to the Hebrews are facing. I mean, hunted down, arrested, and executed persecution. Living in underground catacombs, which is a graveyard um, persecution. Reading just a little about Christians in the first century and what they've endured gives me a whole new perspective about how about Christians in the first century and what they endured gives me a whole new perspective about how scared I am to stand up for Jesus at Thanksgiving. It's amazing how easily fear can cause you to drift away from what's true. So let's move on to uncomfortable truth number two, which is Jesus is our only option for salvation. He's it. Jesus is our only option for salvation. You know, I think verse three is actually the real warning here tucked into this truth of the Old Testament that judgment for sin by God is real is the truth of the New Testament. And this rhetorical question can kind of come across as snarky, but it's not. It's anything but. It is the truthful, loving cry of a shepherd to his flock. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? 
He knows there is no other escape from punish, from the punishment that sin deserves than Christ himself. That Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise in the Old Testament. A word of caution, and this is the uncomfortable part. There is no other Savior coming. There's no other option but Christ. All other Saviors are false and lead to, lead to death. There is only one true God. And we wrestle with this the same way the Israelites did. We don't want to believe it. And the world, man, the world gives us lots of options for salvation. And most of them in our culture revolve around us, ourselves. Believe in yourself. Find your truth. Just remove negativity from your life. Power comes from within you. Pull your bootstraps up and get going. Buck up. Love is 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 love. I read this one yesterday. You don't know how strong you are until you're the only one left to be strong. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> However, none of these messages carry any power with them. And while they may pump us up long enough to get the house clean or work out, they are just words. They don't bring lasting hope, lasting courage, lasting strength. There are not enough plaques with these sayings to hang on your kitchen to get you through. It won't happen. They can't do it. Jesus is God made flesh. It was Jesus, God himself, who came declaring his message, his purpose to save his people from death directly to his people. And his word, his message carries more power than the angels have. And the signs and miracles that he performed are confirmation of the message. Don't take them lightly. Read and think about the miracles that Christ performs in the Gospels. What do they teach us about Christ? They point to his glory. They show us his divinity. Reflect on how many people were a part of them. Witness them. Just consider the, the power the apostles were given at Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit worked and moved through the young church. Friends, that power is still with us today. It hasn't changed just because you don't see Jesus walking on water. He did it. He's already done it. Look at it. Believe it. It's true. Tons of people saw it. And then they died proclaiming that it happened. It didn't serve them well to keep saying that it happened. Remember last week um, when we talked about Jesus being begotten by the Father? I want that word to come, mean, to come to mean at least one thing to you. Connected. Jesus is connected to the Father totally. He doesn't drift from truth because he is truth totally connected to the source of all truth. He can never break apart. He can never, ever drift away. He and God are one and the same. And if you are connected to Jesus, you are connected to the Father, the only source of life. And not even death, not even death can tear them apart. And Jesus, my friends, never lets go of you. He never lets go. He is the rope. He's not letting go. He can't break from either. He can't break from you and he can't break from the father. And this is a great salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Uncomfortable truth number three. We're rolling through here. Jesus is king. Even if we don't feel like he is. Jesus is king. 
even if we don't feel like he is. I can most assuredly relate to those of us who have felt God's absence, who think it's real. I get it. Guys, these Christians that are being written to, this persecution didn't go away. It got worse. It got lots worse. Lots worse. They weren't rescued from it. There is enough madness and despair in this world to bring anyone to a place of drifting away from God. There's enough madness and despair in my house on a Tuesday night to to bring anyone to a place of drifting away from God. I mentioned that at the root of my drifting is fear, fear of pain and suffering, fear that God isn't who he says he is and doesn't love me as much as he says he does. What has the power to overcome that fear? What's going to make us brave? What has the power to make our sorrows sweet instead of bitter? Who can take away the sting of death that we all feel? And what is going to give these Hebrews and you and I the hope and courage they and we need to face another day and not turn to empty traditions that no longer hold any power for fixing the mess that we're in? Jesus goes first. You have a Savior that goes first. And no other God does this. You don't do this. (laughs) This is why Jesus is not showing us the way. He's creating the way. He's not a teacher we follow. He's a Savior we hold on to. And trust that he is holding on to us and never letting go. Jesus goes first. I love that this pastor is not mushy with reality. (laughs) He's not trying to paint a different picture for us about the world. He knows. He knows it's harder than anyone thought it would be. And I love this line. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. Christian, it is hard to see through the sorrow. See Jesus leaving heaven. Christian, it is hard to see through the pain. See Jesus on the cross suffering. Christian, it is hard to see through the shame and guilt of the way we treat God and others. And that just weighing on our souls. See Jesus stripped and naked, humiliated, bearing the full weight of God's wrath, the full penalty your sin deserves. Christian, it is hard to see through the confusion of death and loss. Why? Why? Why does why why is are we so broken? Why can't we just stop? See Jesus being buried in the tomb. It is hard to see hope in the face of death. See Jesus risen from the dead. And see him crowned with glory and honor. See him reigning in total control. And see him working for the peace and flourishing of you and all he loves. And see him holding on to you with a never giving up and never letting go loved that is backed by a crucifixion and a digestion of death in your place. And vindicated by a resurrection 
that hundreds of people saw and move forward each day in this knowledge that no matter what comes, no matter what doubts plague you, no matter what sorrow or joys enter your circles, no matter how much you want to drift, Jesus has hold of you and he is a powerful and good king who is ruling and whose power is unmatched. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the deep truths that we find in your letter to the Hebrews. I thank you for the knowledge that these words encouraged and strengthened them because your church moved forward and it grew. And so we can take heart knowing that in the face of incredible persecution and terrible evil and trouble, that these Christians were held by you, that you kept them, and that even in the face of death, you would not let them go. Lord, give us the strength that we need to hold on to this truth. Keep us from drifting. Help us to not neglect this great salvation that you've provided. And Lord, would Jesus, in the midst of that, get so much bigger and more beautiful for all of us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.